Wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes as we go to our Father in prayer. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits amongst the elders of the land. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Holy Father, we thank you for godly mothers and the incredible impact they are able to have on our lives. I thank you for the mother you gave me. I'm so grateful that in the final year of her life, she found Christ as Lord. I thank you for my wife and the incredible influence that she's had on the children you've given us and even on our grandchildren and others. But we know we live in a day where motherhood is rejected. Your word affirms that you formed us in our mother's womb, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and yet our nation more and more rejects that simple truth. You warned us that in the last days, men would be lovers of themselves and without family or natural affection. So we pray for our Supreme Court this week, that they would not respond to the pressure of the culture, but if indeed this leaked decision is accurate, that they would err on the side of life. Now, Father, the only way we can have an impact in these evil days, you told us, is to be filled with the Spirit. And just like the disciples prayed, Lord, teach us to pray, we ask this morning, Lord, teach us what it means to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. I pray that you would help me, that you would Use me and anoint me that all who hear the message here or later on, that together we might glorify Christ as we walk in the Spirit's power. And we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Take your Bibles with you this morning, and if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, typically, I do expository preaching, and today is no exception. But it's an expository sermon looking holistically at a topic concerning the Spirit-filled life, living a Spirit-filled life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll use this as our launching pad this morning. We read now, beginning in verse 10, for to us God revealed these truths through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Living a spirit-filled life. That's the topic this morning. Every day, the Bible teaches, can be an exciting day for the Christian who understands the reality of being filled with the Spirit moment by moment and walks under His gracious control and power. The Bible teaches, by way of introduction, if you're new, there's a sermon-taking outline there in the bulletin. And by the way, you should take notes. It's one thing to know a truth. It's quite another thing to be able to explain it. If I asked you, do you believe that Jesus is God in human flesh? I mean, without stutter or stammer, if you're saved, you'd say, of course. Every true Christian does. But if I asked you, could you show me five passages if a Jehovah's Witness showed up at your door or a Mormon? That's quite another thing. And so it's important that you not only understand how to be filled with the Spirit, but you know it so well, you can explain it to another person. So by introduction, every person in this auditorium, all those listening to me by radio or live streaming, wherever you are hearing this message, we all fall into one of three categories. We are either a natural man, we are either a spiritual man, or a carnal man. The first one pictured here is a natural man. This is a lost person, one who has not received Christ. This person cannot grow spiritually because they've not been born again. He may try to grow spiritually. He may come to a church like this, but he doesn't understand why his life never fundamentally changes. In describing him, the Apostle Paul said, a natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Spiritual truth can really, in the truest sense, only be appropriated by spiritual people. Jesus said, you must, you must be born spiritually. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And so asking a natural man, a lost man, to appraise spiritual truth is like asking a blind man to evaluate a piece of art. He just doesn't have the equipment in which to do it. So we are seeing natural men all across our nation, protesting basic biblical truth, that life begins at conception. But you see, if you live in rebellion, if you are suppressing the truth of God, then you will believe lies. And I believe we will probably see before summer's end, if the Supreme Court holds to its decision, violence in our street. People here, think about it, this is Mother's Day where people are supposed to be embracing life in the womb, and yet people are rejecting it. A natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. Paul, in describing him, says, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the way we come into this world, physically alive, spiritually dead. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loves us, even when you are dead in your transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. That's what happens when you're saved. And so you have a new capacity. We just read, you have a new capacity to think and speak the thoughts of God because we have the mind of Christ. Jude, in describing 
This unsaved man says, these are the ones who cause divisions, merely natural, devoid of the Spirit. In the local assembly, there's always a few that will create nothing but division for one of two reasons, either A, because they've never been born again, or B, they are just out of fellowship with God. That's what natural men do. And so the spiritual man, by contrast, is one who has received Christ, and he's grown in his relationship with Christ, and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you can see Christ is in his life, and Christ is really directing his life. When he is described, but he was spiritual, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. And so when someone is maturing in their faith, they may hold to a deeply held biblical truth and people will resist it who are not spiritually mature. They'll kick against it. Either A, because again, they're natural men, or B, they're out of fellowship with the living God. What are some of the personal traits that would characterize a spiritually mature Christian? Well, certainly the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, not the fruits of the Spirit are, And there's a difference. The fruit of the Spirit is, and then he gives these nine qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, you can't say, well, I have love, but I really lack peace. Or I have joy, but I don't have much self-control. No, the degree to which you have one is the degree to which you have the other. So a spiritual man, a mature Christian, is one whose life is Christ-centered. Christ is in the center of all the decisions he makes. It might be his financial life. It might be his physical life, the way he takes care of his body. It might be his spiritual life, the decisions that he makes from day to day as to how he raises his children, how he performs at work. Christ is in the center of everything that he does. Uh, He's relying upon the Holy Spirit, as we'll see, as a man relies on air to exist. This is a person who relies on the Holy Spirit. He points people to Christ. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If we're not fishing for men, it just means we're not following Christ. I don't care what you may do, how many Bible studies you may lead, if you're not seeking to bring people into the kingdom, we'll see today, you're not really a spiritual man. And sadly, that's where many in the church in America are today. Uh, This person experiences answered prayer. Why? Because the prayer that gets to heaven typically starts in heaven. God, the Holy Spirit, within your human spirit, burdens you and you pray it back through the cross. And sometimes even when you don't know how to pray, he intercedes on your behalf. Um, You are maturing in your understanding of the Bible. Every year that goes by, you're putting more and more of it together. You have an attitude of gratitude. How do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Among other things, I'll be thankful in my heart, whatever the circumstances may be. Uh, He has an obedient lifestyle. We're not talking about perfection, but we are speaking about a new direction that your life takes when you are saved. Uh, This person enjoys being with the people of God. Some of you are live streaming, not because you can't be here, but because you won't be here. That's not good. A a spirit-filled Christian loves to be with the people of God. There's just a pleasure of being around your spiritual family. Uh, He has found a place of service. Certainly, you can come to church and not necessarily serve. You can come to sit, soak, and sour. But you see, you have a spiritual gift. And at the judgment seat of the just that only believers face, one aspect of that judgment is how did you use your spiritual gift in the local assembly? 
If you're not a part of a local assembly, that's pretty hard to do. Uh, he ties to the work of God. You know, you want to see where a person's heart is. Typically, Jesus said, follow the money. 16 of the 38 parables Jesus gave in Scripture concern money. Uh, he wants to build up God's church. He's excited about the kingdom of God. He lives with an eternal perspective. 50, 60, 70 years from now, most everyone in this church, everyone listening, what you own, someone else will own. But you see, the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. And so the spiritual man's looking with his eye, how can I make a difference in laying up treasure in heaven? Now, the degree of fruit is the product of being filled over the course of time. So we don't compare ourselves with each other. It's progressive because it's called spiritual maturity. So in that great passage in John 15 where Jesus describes his spiritual life, he speaks of no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And so if someone has consistently been filled with the Spirit, say over 10 years, and someone else over just 10 months, because they're new in the faith, the older Christian will display more fruit. But the same Spirit of God that lives in the older Christian lives in the brand new Christian. Now, there's a third kind of person. This is a carnal man, or what we might call a carnal Christian, a worldly Christian. This is a person who's received Christ, but he's not matured. They've not matured for a number of different reasons that we're going to examine. But sadly, very often, some have not matured because of decisions that they have made to stay out of fellowship with God. And so this morning, everyone listening to me, you're either a natural man, you're a spiritual man, or you are a carnal man. A natural man basically does what comes natural. A spiritual man does what comes supernatural. But a carnal man does what comes unnatural because it's unnatural for you to stay a baby in Christ. If Dr. Billy Graham was correct before he died, he said 90 to 95% of the genuine Christians in the American church have stayed carnal men. Babes in Christ have never really matured. Paul describes them, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. Flesh is the word that is rendered carnal in some translations, and so we speak of the carnal Christian. This kind of carnal Christian was normal that he initially addresses because they were brand new Christians. The moment you're born again, you are instantly transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son, but you're a baby in Christ, and there's a lot of character traits that God wants to change. And so Paul said, I addressed you for what you were. Babes in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. That's what you do with new Christians. Herein lies the problem. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. Notice the tense change. I gave you, past tense. Now, about four years later when he writes this letter, you're still not able. Why? Because you're fleshly, you're carnal. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Yes, you are. So, four simple, or five simple points this morning. First, we want to talk about being filled with the Spirit. Why even talk about being filled with the Spirit? That's the first point on the outline. Jot down some notes. You need to be able to help someone you lead to Christ, how to walk in the Spirit. I hope you're trying to win people to Christ. That's a mark of a spiritual man. If you're not trying to win people to Christ, don't deceive yourself that you're walking in the Spirit because you are not. And sadly, 
That's where the majority of the American church lies today. So why even talk about being filled with the Spirit? Well, there are some ministries of the Spirit that start at conversion, at the moment of conversion. Let's think about that for a second. These are some samples. For instance, we are baptized with the Spirit the moment we're saved. You are identified. Every time you see the word baptism, don't always think water. Sometimes it's spirit baptism. So the Spirit of God identifies us with a group of people called the body of Christ, and every member of the body of Christ is to find a local expression of the universal church. You're sealed with the Spirit. The moment you're saved, the Spirit is placed in you. He's sealed in you for the coming day of redemption. You are indwelt by the Spirit. Under the old covenant, God had a temple for his people. Under the new covenant, God has a people who are his temple. We are many temples of God. We are the temple of the living God individually and corporately. And that's a wonderful truth. That's something that no Old Testament saint ever knew. You're gifted by the Spirit. On your spiritual birthday, you received a spiritual gift. It's different from a natural talent. You say, well, I can't sing. Well, that's not a spiritual gift. Now, that's a talent, and a spiritual gift might express itself through that. But spiritual gifts are things like teaching, exhortation, mercy, helps, evangelism. And on your spiritual birthday, God gave you a gift to serve the body. But if you don't grow in Christ, it's like a newborn babe. You don't know what talents and skills God blessed this little baby with. Is he mechanically inclined? Can he sing? Is he athletic? You don't know until he grows. And many a Christian has never even found their spiritual gifts because they haven't grown. Uh, You're regenerated. You're made alive. We just read you were dead, but now you've been made alive. What a wonderful truth. Then there are ministries of the Spirit that happen after conversion. So some at the moment of conversion, some after conversion. Here's a sample. For instance, he teaches us. John says, you have need of no one to teach you because you have an anointing. Now, John is teaching them that you have no need to teach them. He's not discounting teachers in the church. He's just saying, listen, your ultimate teacher is God the Holy Spirit. And when a pastor opens the Bible and accurately handles it as he's supposed to do, there's a ring of truth, and the Spirit of God rings that truth in your heart. He guides you. He has a plan for your life. He assures you. He comforts you. He prays in and through you. You're to pray in the Spirit at all times, and even when you don't know how to pray, the Bible says we have the double intercessory ministry of God. There is the intercessory ministry of the Spirit who prays when we don't know how we ought to pray, and He brings it to Christ who brings it to the Father. Now, interestingly, we're never commanded to be assured or guided or taught by the Spirit. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Why is that? Because when you're filled with the Spirit, then all these other progressive ministries of the Spirit, like His assuring, like His comforting, like His praying, like His teaching, are made alive in your heart, in your life. So that's why we're talking about the filling ministry of the Spirit this morning. Second question on your outline, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, the meaning of the word filled, let's start there. What does this word Filled, it's the Greek word plerao, and it simply means to be under the control or the direction of something or someone. Paul said, for instance, in Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, when a man's drunk with wine, he doesn't have to try to act drunk. He doesn't have to try to slur his words and walk funny. Why? Because the wine directs his life. Even so, 
when you are filled with the Spirit, He affects your walk and your talk. Both drunk and spiritual persons are controlled people, either under the influence of alcohol or under the influence of the Spirit. Uh, Here's another example in Luke chapter 4. And the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. Jesus is in Nazareth. He's done some miracles. He some other places like Cana, he shows up in Capernaum and he shows up in Nazareth and oh, the people are just falling all over his words. Listen to the gracious words that he speaks until he gets a little bit personal. Um, I maybe skipped one. Yeah, uh, let me just go back. Until he gets personal, I guess I didn't include it. He he speaks about uh, Elijah and Elisha how they lived in a day when the Jewish people didn't respond to their ministries. So they had a profound impact on Gentiles. And Jesus draws a conclusion. You're not really responding to my ministry, but the Gentiles will. Well, they're just bent out of shape. So what do they do? They take him to that brow on the hill. It's the only hill in all of Nazareth where it could have happened. We call it the Mount of Precipice. They want to throw him off the edge. It's a thousand foot drop there. But Jesus just allows power to emanate through him and he walks right through the crowd. But these people were filled. They were under the control of their rage. Here's Elizabeth. She heard Mary's greeting. She's pregnant with John the Baptist and the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she cried out, with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Under the direction of the Spirit of God, she gives this incredible testimony. Likewise, her husband and his, John's father, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. The Spirit of God was directing and filling his life. In John 16 and verse 6, Jesus described another kind of filling. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He's speaking, if you remember, about leaving. And their hearts are filled. They're dominated. They're controlled, directed by sorrow. That's the thought behind the word. Secondly, understand that the baptism versus the filling of the Spirit. Understand there's a difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. A clear distinction in Holy Scripture. So let's think our way through that this morning. Okay, there it goes. Uh, The abundant and fruitful life that God has for his people can only happen if you're filled with the Spirit. Now, you may be baptized by the Spirit, but not necessarily filled with the Spirit. One becomes a, a Christian through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's called the baptism of the Spirit. The moment you are born again, you are baptized, identified, into the body of Christ through the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit. But the scripture is clear in a passage like this, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. We're all made to drink of one spirit. Now, who is he speaking to? The Corinthian church. You probably know something about the Corinthian church. They weren't stellar examples of what you'd like in a healthy church. They had a lot of problems. Yet every single one of them had been baptized by the Spirit. What's your point, Pastor? There are Christians today who will ask you, have you been baptized by the Spirit? Our dear Pentecostal brethren. And they say, well, first you get saved, 
And then after you're saved, you get this deeper work of the Spirit called the baptism of the Spirit. Historically, they said, first you get saved, then after you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit. They've changed their doctrine several times. Now they say you get saved, and later on you get this deeper, fuller work of the Spirit. Typically, they would argue, as accompanied by speaking in tongues. And yet God says here, every single one of these Corinthians, even with all of their moral problems, had had the baptism of the Spirit. That's why Paul will write in Romans 8 and verse 9, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not one of His. Now, it is true that there was a time when people gathered who were born-again believers, uh, who were believers but who had not received the Spirit. They had not yet been born again, i.e., the upper room. All these people in the upper room, are they saved? Yes. What if someone had a heart attack in the upper room, yet they had not been born again? They would have went to heaven like any old covenant saint but they hadn't received the Spirit yet. Why? Because he hadn't yet been given. But after Pentecost, the principle is, at the moment of conversion, you are given God the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 1. In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So you have to first hear the gospel, the gospel being defined as the death, burial, and the resurrection. You have to hear it. You have to hear it with understanding before you can believe the gospel. It's not enough to know the plan of salvation. You have to respond in faith. You believe. And the moment you believe, God's Spirit comes to live inside of you. Jesus said, He is there in you forever. He is God's earnest money, God's pledge, God's down payment that what He began, He will complete. Though all Christians are indwelt or baptized by the Holy Spirit, not every Christian is filled with the Spirit. So post-Pentecost, you're never commanded as a saved person to be baptized by the Spirit. It's assumed as true, but you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. So let's think through a contrast between the baptism and the filling of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit happens only once. Every once in a while, some Christian will say, well, I got saved again. No, you didn't. You only get saved once. You don't get born again, then unborn again, then born again again, and then unborn again again. No, you're born again once. He comes to live in you, and he's there forever, period. Now, it might be that you didn't really understand what you were doing the first time. Does understanding precede conversion? Yes. You don't have to know a whole lot to be saved, but you have to know that you're morally bankrupt in the sight of an absolutely holy God, and only Christ's death, burial, and resurrection can change you and give you new life. You have to know that much. And when you do, you're baptized. When you believe, will you put your faith where God puts your sin? You're baptized by the Spirit. Whereas the filling of the Spirit is a repeated experience. It happens over and over again. The Spirit's baptism never happened before the day of Pentecost. That's the promise of the new covenant. But there were instances in the Old Testament where a person could be filled with the Spirit. So David prayed an Old Testament prayer after he had blown it bad with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's an old covenant prayer. There are times when the Spirit of God would come upon a person for a moment for leadership or to accomplish something or to prophesy, but they weren't indwelt. That's why Jesus could say there's never been a man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. 
But he was least in the kingdom of greater than John. Why? Because John never lived to see the promise of the new covenant, the permanent indwelling of the Spirit. This is true of all believers, spirit baptism, where it's not necessarily true of someone who is saved. The spirit baptism can never be undone. The spirit filling can be lost. One results in a new position where you're identified in Christ's righteousness. The other results in God's power. So being filled with the Spirit is essential to living a victorious Christian life. Jesus made this incredible statement at the end of one feast. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And then John would go on to say, these things he spoke concerning the Spirit who was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. But his point was this. Life is found through the regenerating work of the Spirit, where if someone's thirsty, they need to be born again. And from the inside out, life is lived. So we're not talking about plastering a smile on. We're trying to fake it. We're talking about an internal change that the Spirit of God brings about. In Galatians 5, Paul exhorted us to walk by the Spirit, that you might not carry out the desires of the flesh. When you walk, one foot is in the air, one foot is on the ground. Moment by moment, you are depending when one is in the air for the one that's on the ground. Moment by moment, you are to depend upon the Holy Spirit to live a Christian life. So, third question, why are so many Christians baby Christians. Again, if Dr. Graham was right, he put 90 to 95% of the born-again, genuine, blood-bought believers in the American church is baby Christians. I don't know if it's that high, but it's pretty high. People come here all the time. Some have been saved for a long time. You talk to them, you find out they sure haven't grown much. Pretty sad. So some have not had enough time to grow. I can understand that. It takes time to grow physically. It takes time to grow spiritually. For instance, and there's a time factor, and that's partly determined by the pastor, by the shepherd. He has a responsibility. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. It's not above us. But if we spend all our time on these critical needs in the assembly, we won't have time to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Takes time. When a wife prepares a meal, takes time. When a pastor prepares a meal, if he does it right, it takes time. And that's how he shows his love to Jesus Christ. That means he may not do some of the things you'd want him to do, if he's doing what Christ has called him to do. Here's another time factor determined by the shepherd. The shepherd is to preach the word. He's to be ready in season and out of season. He's to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. It's not just feel-good sermons. It's the whole counsel of God's word. In 1 Peter 2, again, there's a response not just by the shepherd, but there's a response by the sheep. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. Now here, milk is not used as simple truth. Here, milk is being used of unadulterated truth, of the purity, of the absolute authority of the word of God. And just as a baby 
needs milk to grow, we need the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. James put it this way, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted that is able to save your souls. Now, he's speaking to save people who've been saved from the penalty of sin. Remember, salvation is a big word. He's not dealing here with the penalty of sin, nor the presence of sin at glorification. He's dealing here with the power of sin. And the word of God won't do you a whole lot of good if you fill your heart with filth. A lot of people hear a preacher preach on Sunday morning, they go home and watch filth on Sunday night. And they wonder why they're not really growing. I mean, preachers stand up on Sunday morning and they give illustrations from movies that are totally inappropriate, that don't meet the standard of Holy Scripture, the things that are pure and right and lovely and worthy of praise. Let your mind be set on these things. And that's sad, but that's the day we live in. Hebrews chapter 5, for though by this time, again, there's a time factor to grow, you, and it's not you singular, but you plural. If you were using the old English, it would say ye, which is one benefit of old English. You plural is ye. You all we'd say in the South, you ought to be teachers, and you have need again for someone to teach you the uh, elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. Now, he's not talking about a teacher like me. I have been called to serve in the office of pastor teacher. He's not talking about a spiritual gift like the gift of teaching or the gift of spiritual teaching. He's talking here about teaching in terms of maturity. There's a sense in which every believer ought to be a teacher. And that's consistent. So James can say, well, let not many of you become teachers knowing that you'll incur a stricter judgment. That's the office. That's what I do. When I stand behind this pulpit every week, I am incurring a stricter judgment. One, how faithfully and how accurately and how consistently I handle the word of truth. But if you're growing in the Lord, there's some basic questions you ought to be able to answer. You know, the pastor who works, the elder who works hard at preaching and teaching, the Bible says he is to be worthy of double honor. What's the implication? Read it in 1 Timothy 5. Not every elder is a Bible teacher. But he is to be apt to teach. Why? Because that's a mark of spiritual maturity. And so if there's some basic questions you can't answer. That's not good. It's good, I suppose, if you're new in the faith, but if some years have transpired, whereby this time you ought to be teachers and you're still a babe, that's not good. So it's possible to be filled with the Spirit without being spiritually mature. So technically, I don't want to be confusing here, but there's a difference between a spiritual man and being Spirit-filled. Let's think our way through it. It's possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you've been saved a month. But because you've been saved such a short period of time, though you're walking in the Spirit as best you know how, you're not yet considered a mature Christian. So being filled with the Spirit plus time equals spiritual maturity. On the other side, there are some people who've been saved 20, 30, 40 years, but they're still baby Christians, never grown up. They've remained infants. 
So you need the time factor, and you need to be filled with the Spirit over that time. A faithful pastor will also teach his flock that there's victory that's available as you obey. Romans 6, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now again, every time you see the word baptism, don't think water. He's talking here about spiritual baptism. The water baptism certainly illustrates spirit baptism, so not necessarily a bad verse to quote under those circumstances, but it is through the baptizing ministry of the Spirit that you're identified with the death, burial, and the resurrection. So he says, for if we've become united with Christ in the likeness of his death, which we have, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. His resurrection provides power for living. Knowing this, and he wants people to know this, just like you have to know the gospel before you can believe it. Now he's moved past justification truths. In Romans 6, 7, and 8, he's dealing with sanctification truths. There's certain things you have to know. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Application, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you should obey its laws. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members of instruments of righteousness to God. You have a choice. The evil one would say, you'll always be like this. You'll never get past this problem. That's just what he wants you to believe. No, you have a choice now in Christ. You can choose to present yourself to the living God. Now, when you make those choices over and over and over again, you begin to see victory. A faithful pastor will teach his flock that Christ provided power as we obey. Remember what John 14 says. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That is, that will be with you forever. Underscore that forever. You're not unborn again. That is the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus said, I'm not going to abandon you. I will come to you how? He's also called the Spirit of Christ. Technically, if you study Scripture carefully, you're indwelt by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But the accent in the New Testament is placed on God the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you another helper. There's two words for another in Greek. There is another of a different kind, heteros, and there's another of the same kind, alos, heteros. We get heterosexual and Heterodoxy, you know, something that's not orthodox is heterodoxy, contrary to sound teaching. And then there's another of the same kind. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to send another one just like myself. Technically, you can't divide up the members of the Godhead, obviously. I am going to come to you. I'm not going to abandon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, not just do witnessing. But be witnesses in your very character. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. They leave the upper room. They're headed to Gethsemane between those two points. Some of you will see it next week. They walk through a vineyard. And Jesus said, I'm a vine, you're branches. 
The branch never sweats to produce fruit. No, it relies on the vine and the sap flows through and the fruit is produced. Jesus is saying, without me, you can't do anything. You can't teach a Bible study. You can't lead the kids in Awana. You can't participate in upward sports. You can't play soccer with the men. You want to see real carnality. I'm not talking about our church now. Hmm. No, 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 no. But I've seen more church leagues where people are at each other's throats playing softball or this game. You can't do anything. You can't cut the grass. You can't change a diaper. Nothing apart from being filled with the Spirit. That is in terms of fruitfulness. You can only obey what you know, but you must obey what you know. And when you obey what you know, you will grow. God gave you a helper. My wife would always say to our children, God gave you a helper. He's the Holy Spirit. And he wants to help you in this area. He wants to change this area of your life. Ask him. He will help you. That's good theology. B, some have forgotten God's forgiveness. Why are so many baby Christians? Some haven't had enough time to grow. Some have just forgotten God's forgiveness. Second Peter, he gives a similar list of the fruit of the Spirit, same list packaged with different words. And after he goes through that list, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. That's why we have a remember table to stop and pause and remember the forgiveness that is ours, not just in terms of its penalty, but in terms of its power. When you forget God's forgiveness, what do you do? You live for self instead of for the glory of God. Here we are in Revelation. These are people who are perfectly filled with the Spirit because they're in heaven. And we read, worthy are you, they're crying out. Our Lord and our God receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. That's what a spirit-filled believer does. He is so enraptured with the fact that he has been forgiven that he doesn't want to live for self, but for the glory of God. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. First Corinthians 6, Paul is dealing with some carnal believers. Or don't you know he's bringing back a truth that they, he wants to reverberate in their souls? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? Some of them were bringing the Spirit of God right into their sin. For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, you are to glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ. And when one is filled with the Holy Spirit, he is living as Christ would have him to live. He shall glorify me, Jesus said, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. You know, you drive down some street in Washington, D.C., and they have this beautiful statue all lit up or some monument. Your eye doesn't go to the light. Your eye goes to what's illumined by the light. Listen, any church, any movement that has the Holy Spirit as a figurehead is a bogus movement. He didn't come to glorify himself. He came to show off the Lord Jesus, 
And that's what a spirit-filled believer does. When you forget God's forgiveness, your heart will grow indifferent, lukewarm, for the purposes for which God saved you, which is why Jesus could say, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. He's not talking about a loss of salvation and contradicting the doctrine of eternal security he taught over and over and over again. But in terms of being useful to God, a self-centered Christian isn't any use for the glory of God. Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He just said you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. Salvation is the gift of God. It's not as a result of works so that no one can boast. Then he says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you're not saved by works, but you're saved to do good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Look, I don't want to get into heaven and God say, look, you're so inconsistent. You didn't walk in the spirit. This is the plan that I had for your life. You know, we used to say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He does. He has a magnificent plan for your life. And when you walk in the spirit, that plan is unfolded step by step. And you walk in the works that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. What are some of the personal traits of the carnal or lukewarm Christian who's not learned to walk in the Spirit? Well, he has a roller coaster Christian life. Maybe he comes to church and gets kind of emotional. Monday morning, gets to the office, all the problems he has to face. Now he's down in the dumps. Up, down, up, down, up, down. I'm not saying there's not ups and downs, but it should be up and down in an upward progression as you grow up in Jesus Christ. Paul describes this kind of conflict, for that which I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, I'm doing the very thing that I hate. There's the part of him that's been regenerated by the Spirit that wants to serve the Lord, but he just lives in defeat. So he tends to have a legalistic lifestyle. Legalism was when you start doing things because you've forgotten God's love, forgiveness, and power, you do things to earn God's approval. In other words, instead of working from approval, from righteousness, from the victory, from the spirit who lives in you, you're doing things to earn God's approval. Now, sometimes, sadly today, if you have a standard, people will call you legalistic. Someone asked me, someone called from Maine, and I returned the call Thursday night driving home, and do you drink? No, I don't drink. Well, my pastor drinks, why don't you drink? Well, number one, God forbids drunkenness. Number two, God forbids the use of strong drink. Now, people hear strong drink. Oh, you mean rum, whiskey, vodka? No, the distilled alcohols come a thousand years after the Bible is completed. We're talking about naturally fermented wine and beer. Now, God gives an exception to that. He gave the exception where you could give it to a dying, despairing man. Called a family yesterday morning on my way to an appointment in Savannah, and my heart was broken for them. And they said they're giving him morphine, and he's comfortable. And then the message came last night that he went home to be with the Lord. Now, that would be strong drink in the first century. In fact, the Talmud, a Jewish manual, the Didash, a second century pastoral manual said that they would take strong drink and they would mix it five parts water, one part wine. Why? 
because they didn't want to get buzzed. You'd have a bladder problem before you had a buzz problem. Why do people drink? Because they're not satisfied. I got to have this buzz. A buzzed mind is a disobedient mind. And I don't care what your pastor may be saying to you. You say, well, that's just some narrow view. Yeah, it's narrow in our day. Some of the greatest biblical scholars, like John Walford, like Dwight Pentecost, like Howard Hendricks, and yes, even John MacArthur to this day, they hold to the same position I've held to. You prove to me that strong drink is something else. The burden of proof will be on you. You can't do it. But you see, some would say, well, you're legalistic. I'm not legalistic. I'm just trying to obey God. I don't know. I told that brother, I said, I don't know any pastors who are being used of God who drink. They're not leading people to Christ. They're not growing by conversion, except maybe by biological growth within the church. God doesn't honor that life. He won't honor your life. Think your way through it. Go to my website. I have some articles done by some very scholarly people you might want to read. Impure behavior. They go home, visit websites, fill with filth. Why? Because the flesh is curious. Oh, that movie had just a little bit of sex in it, but you know, it wasn't too bad. Worldly music. There is worldly music. I'm not saying everything unsaved people have produced is worldly. But there's a lot of worldly music. And a person who's out of fellowship with God, well, they'll, they'll camp on this stuff. Central violent media, they love it. The more violence, the better the movie. Maybe they divide the body of Christ through jealousy, by guilt. They're dominated by guilt. These are people who hold grudges. They tend to live in discouragement. They're typically constantly frustrated. They are ignorant of basic spiritual truth. It's like Yates. Yates Pool is a famous oil well to this day in West Texas. George Yates lived in West Texas during the time of the Great Depression as a sheep herder. Just seemed to scrape by to put food on the table. Had to go on government subsidence. And then a seismographic company came in, wanted to drill some wildcat wells. He gave them permission. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day and then many subsequent wells. And overnight, he was a millionaire. But actually, he was a millionaire the whole time. Because he owned all the mineral rights on that property. He was just ignorant of what was his, and there are many Christians who are ignorant, partly because of the shepherd. They're untaught, partly because they're, they're disobedient, so they don't have ears to hear. No real direction in life. They tend to be dominated by worry or fear. Listen, some of you are watching me who shouldn't be here because of health reasons. Some of you should be here, but you won't be here because you're dominated by fear. That's not good. You are forsaking the assembling together of the brethren. God can't honor that in your life. What's the worst that can happen? You can die and go to heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> they live in unbelief. 
They're known as a disobedient believer. They've left their first love to use Jesus's illustration with the church at Laodicea. They don't talk with God as a way of life and continual fellowship. The carnal man has little or no desire for Bible study. The last time he picked up his Bible was last Sunday. No appetite. Inactive in the local church. Oh, they may come, but not serve anywhere. They find solace sometimes in alcohol and food. They fantasize sin instead of fantasizing obedience. Now remember, the thief comes only to kill and to destroy and to steal. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, it's very possible, let me give a footnote, that a person with these characteristics may never have been saved. There's a lot of people in the South who have a soft spot for Jesus. But they have never fundamentally been born again where the direction of their life has changed. To quote one famous preacher, they have been given a mild case of Christianity to keep them from getting the real disease. And those are the people that Jesus will meet on the final day to whom he will say, I never knew you, depart from me. 1 John 3 says, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Again, we're not talking about perfection, but there's a new direction. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. They profess to know God, Titus says, but by their lifestyle, by their deeds, they deny him. You know how many people will fill churches, Bible-believing churches, who were drunk last night, who slept with someone with whom they were not married? They profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or a covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There's a lot of deceived people, soft spot for Jesus. They think they're going to heaven. And Paul says, don't be deceived. Roman number four, what are the conditions for being filled with the Spirit? You ought to be able to explain these to your children to your grandchildren, stay with me. Let's think first about the fact that the Holy Spirit will never fill you against your will, but only in conjunction with your will. So point A, there are certain conditions that prepare us to be filled with the Spirit. Two that we're going to underscore this morning. You can appropriate the filling of the Holy Spirit right now if you sincerely, one, desire to be directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do you desire to be filled with the Spirit? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you have a hunger in your heart this morning to live godly? If you don't, you won't be filled. Now, a true believer, he will come to the point where he's so sick and tired of being sick and tired that he says, Lord God, I want you to fill me. I want to live for you. Not to desire to be filled with the Spirit is to grieve the Holy Spirit because he came to indwell you that he might fill you. 
Now, a condition for being filled with the Spirit is you must not grieve Him. Paul said in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He lives in you if you have been saved, and He's not leaving you, but if He's living in you and you're not allowing Him to fill you, He's grieved. You grieve the Spirit of God when you do those things that you shouldn't do. And the solution is to confess your sin. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This obviously is not a salvation verse. It's nothing to do with salvation. But people say, oh, you know, God just said if I confess my sin, he'd forgive me. Jesus could have come to earth and said, my father is so forgiving. Just confess your sin and he'll forgive you. And he could have ascended up into heaven. No, he came to the cross. He's writing to save people in 1 John 1, 9. These things I'm writing to you that you might have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Walk in the light as He is in the light, that you can have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son can cleanse you. And if we say we have no sin, we're, we're making God out to be a liar. We're lying to ourselves. But if we confess our sin, God can be faithful and righteous time and time again to forgive us. Confess. Homo legao, most of you know the word logos, word, legao to say. Homo, homo sapien, homosexual, it means the same. Homo legao, confess means to say the same thing. You own your sin. You say what God says about it. You don't rationalize it. You own it. And he is faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse. When there's no unconfessed sin in your heart, you're not grieving the spirit. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its loss. Speaking to a man this week, porn problem. What are you going to do about it? I don't know. For starters, why don't you get rid of your smartphone since that's the source of your pornography. Oh, I need my phone. I can't go without my... You need to be Holy. For decades, I never had a phone because there were no phones. We used the phone booth. You remember what those were, Anthony? A phone booth? Hmm? Then I got a bag phone, this thing I carried. Then I got a flip phone, and then a non flip phone, and then a smartphone. You don't need a smartphone, not if you're feeding the flesh with it. 1 Thessalonians 5. Don't quench the Spirit. You grieve the Spirit when you do those things you shouldn't do. You quench the Spirit when you don't do those things you ought to do. He's dealing in the positive realm. And so the solution is, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that he just spent 11 chapters describing, to present yourselves to God as a living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual, it's your reasonable form of worship. And so don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world shape you into its mold. But be transformed, how? Through the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Metamorpho, we get our word metamorphosis from it. You know, the process of a little worm and a cocoon and a beautiful butterfly. Be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Some Christians, they're not grieving the Spirit, but they're quenching Him. Oh, pastor, I can't share my faith. That's what we pay you to do. You don't pay me to do anything. You give your tithe to God, and then God pays me. I can't do for you what God has called you to do for yourself. And God has called all of us to be involved in sharing the gospel. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. If you're not fishing for men, you're not following Christ. 
Now, we'll be used in different capacities, but we should all be out there fishing. Oh, but I'm not going to do that. Then you won't be filled with the Spirit. In fact, it's remarkable to see the connection so often in Scripture between being filled with the Spirit and the person who's obedient to share the reason Jesus came to this world. Be the conditions that sustain us to keep us filled with the Spirit. So there's certain preconditions, but then there are certain sustaining conditions if we're going to continue to walk in the Spirit. Again, I say walk by the Spirit that you might not carry out the desires of the flesh. When I walk, again, one foot is in the air, one foot is in the ground. It's moment by moment by moment. So therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Him? You admitted that you were spiritually bankrupt and you could do zero to earn heaven. That's how you walk in Him. You admit that you can't live a godly life apart from the Spirit of God filling you moment by moment by moment. In Galatians, it also tells us not only are we to walk by the Spirit, but we are to sow to the Spirit. So again, a condition for staying filled with the Spirit is you sow to the Spirit to your new nature. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't think that you can continually, habitually walk in the Spirit if you don't spend time in this book. Man shall not live by bread alone. If the last time you picked up your Bible was last Sunday, something not right. What do you want to do? Do you want to make your life count for the Lord where He's glorified by your life? Or do you just want to go through the motions? You will walk in the Spirit to the degree that you walk in the Word. It's very interesting to look at the parallel between Colossians 3 and 4 and Ephesians 5 and 6. The command in Colossians 3 is, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's the main verb, and then there's a number of participles get their force from that main verb. Different command in Ephesians be filled with the Spirit, and then there's all these participles that flow from it. Go home, here's some sampling. Someone who is letting God's Word richly dwell in them and are filled with the Spirit, they're speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, there's something exciting. You know, I can walk into a church on Sunday morning, and I can tell many ways whether a church is really a Spirit-filled church, just the way they sing. People come here, and they're saying, wow. These people are excited about Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. You're speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're thankful is a way of life. You're submissive one to another. Wives to husbands. Husbands are loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Child. Children are obeying their parents. That presupposes, if this is, a, again, a result of being filled with the Spirit, that a child can come to know Christ. Look, it is far better to introduce your child to the Lord when they're six or seven than when they're 16. And if you can teach them to walk in the Spirit and those principles when they're six or seven or eight years old, I hope you got them. Grieve not, quench not, walk by, so too. Those should reverberate in your soul and you should be teaching them to your children as you walk in the way, as you lay down, as you rise up. It's far easier to raise an obedient child that way. In addition, 
Fathers will treat their children with fairness and justice, slaves to masters, masters to slaves. Again, there's fairness and justice. You're alert in prayer when you're filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word. You're evangelistic in your heart. You want to win people to Jesus in whatever capacity. Now, if you meet God's conditions, then by faith, claim the fullness of the Spirit according to His command and His promise. God's command is be filled with the Spirit. In fact, if you read the verse before it, it says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. But if you hadn't read that verse, you would know this is God's will because it's an imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. In fact, it literally reads, be ye being filled with the Spirit. Be ye habitually, moment by moment, filled with the Spirit. And then his promise is that he'll always answer a prayer when you know it's according to God's will. And this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, then we know he's heard us. He hears us. And if we know that he has heard us in whatever we've asked, then we know that we have the promise that we've asked from him. So if I ask the Spirit of God to fill me, assuming I'm not grieving or quenching him, I can expect by faith for him to do that very thing. So how in faith to be filled with the Spirit? Well, you could certainly express it in prayer. Father, I need you. I acknowledge I've sinned against you. Directing my own life, I thank you that you've forgiven my sins through Christ's death on the cross. I invite you again to take control of my life. Fill me with the Spirit as you commanded me, as you promised you would when I pray and according to your will. And I thank you by faith that you are now filling me. Does that express the desire of your heart? If it does, then you can in faith trust God to fill you. Why? Because he cannot lie. And without faith, without taking God at his word, it's impossible to please him. You say, well, am I supposed to get a feeling? You know, sometimes I'll lead a person through the sinner's prayer. Did you pray that? Yes. Did you mean it? Yeah. Well, are you saved? Well, I don't know. I hope so. I told you I was 50. Maybe I'm now 90. Are they saved? No. Because they didn't take God at his word. Whoever will call on his son will be saved. You're either saying you can't do it or you won't do it. That's the opposite of faith. Did you ask the Spirit of God to fill you? Yes. Are you filled? I don't know. I hope so. I think so. I don't know. I don't feel any different. I didn't speak in tongues. Are they filled? No. Because they didn't take God in his word. So you don't depend on feelings. Just like this train, you put coal in the engine to make it run, the train will run with or without the caboose. Let's pause for a second. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Maybe you're here, maybe you're listening in one of our campuses or online, and you know you're not filled with the Spirit. You know that the carnal man tends to picture your life and not a Spirit-filled Christian. You can start fixing it today. The quietness of your own heart. If there's unconfessed sin, if there's some area that you've not yielded, that God has called you to obey, ask for his forgiveness and yield that area. Then ask God to fill you with his spirit according to his command to be filled and his promise that he would answer whenever you pray according to his will. Amen. Now, point five, and we're done. Stay with me. One final point. How to stay filled with the Spirit. How does one stay filled with the Spirit? 
Well, you have to trust God to continue to fill you first. You have to trust the Lord to continue moment by moment to fill you. So the scripture again says, don't be drunk with wine, but be ye being filled. Moment by moment is the thought. It's a present imperative, meaning over and over, moment by moment, be filled with the Spirit. In Acts 4, you have all these people who are Spirit-filled. They get arrested, and they're being persecuted, and they gather all these saints in this room, and they begin to pray. Lord, we're, we're scared spitless, but we thank you, you're great, and they remember the greatness of God, and they quote Old Testament scripture about how powerful and how he's sovereign over the nations of the world, and, and they pray for boldness, and the text says they're filled again. Why? Because there's an area of their life that they become aware of that they need the Spirit of God to work in again. And many times that's how it happens. You're walking with the Lord and, and God shows you something you knew and you say, oh man, I never knew that before. Lord, just take over, have your way in my heart. And so you see it in Acts 4, you see it again in Acts 2. And uh, so I'm just saying here, if you become aware of an area of your life that requires a new filling of the Spirit, then by faith, trust God to continue to fill you. So let me give you kind of an illustration. Never got to this in the first service. This dark circle represents when you come into a relationship with God. When you step into that circle, you're saved, so to speak, when you are born again. And when you step into the circle, you really come in from the right side. You immediately establish a relationship with God, and you are immediately in fellowship with God because you don't come to Christ in rebellion you come with a yielded heart, so you're in fellowship with the Lord. But there's a lot of issues in your life. And so you can see there are these lines of conviction that when you step in on the right side, they're very wide, but they get closer and closer. And you can see there's a center line that if somehow you could walk on that center line, you would walk in sinless obedience, God's perfect will. Now that will never happen until you meet the Lord in heaven. But you step into the realm of a relationship with God. And by the way, you can never step out of that dark circle. But you can stay within the circle and move past the points of conviction. A point of conviction is when God shows you something in your life. You stay for a week and God says, you know, those cigarettes, you need to get rid of those. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Lord, help me. You hit that point of conviction, and you continue to have fellowship with the Lord. Hey, man, you just had two beers, and you're already feeling it. I don't want you to use strong drink. Oh, but all the Christians like to have their wine. Well, I don't like it, God says. Okay, Lord. And you move a little bit further down the continuum. You hit another point of conviction. God says, you know, you are a bad steward of your money. You don't even tithe to the work of the Lord. And by the way, it's not a 90-10% relationship where 90% is yours and 10%. It's all mine. And someday you'll give an account for all of it. Oh, I can't give 10%. Oh, no. And you step out of fellowship with the Lord. Are you still saved? Of course you are. 
but you're not walking in the Spirit. So when you hit one of those points of conviction and you say no to God, or God says, hey, you know, I know that this is like the most popular series in the country, but it's filled with sensuality and and bad language and yeah, you do it when the kids are not around, but listen, if you can't do it with the kids, if it's not good enough for their ears, it's not good enough for your ears, but that's my show, Lord. You hit a point of conviction and you say no to the Lord. When that happens, you've retaken the throne of your life through a definite act of disobedience. And so when necessary, you ask God to fill you afresh. If you retake the throne of your life through sin, which is a definitive act of disobedience, then you breathe spiritually. This concept of spiritual breathing, Bill Bright taught it to me 45 years ago. And just like in the physical realm, you, you exhale the impure and you inhale the pure, spiritual breathing is kind of an exercise in faith where you confess your sin that you might continue to experience God's love, forgiveness, and power. So you exhale. You claim 1 John 1, 9. Lord, yeah, you're right. I've been rationalizing this show that I watch. It's not really honorable to you. And it pollutes my mind, and it fills the flesh. And I'm so into the flesh rather than to the spirit. You think someone who gets involved in porn or adultery just starts there? It never starts there. It starts with very small, subtle things. They get kind of used to that, and they go a little bit further. Before you know it, they're enmeshed in pornography, and before you know it, they're living in adultery. That's the way it works. The wages of sin is more sin. But you confess it. You ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you. But then you ask God's spirit to fill you according to his command and his promise. Trust him based on 1 John 1, 9 that he's cleansed you. And then trust him based on his command and his promise to be filled with the spirit whenever you pray according to his will that he'll do it. Let me close with this thought. There's a great catechism written in 1647. Don't agree with everything in it, but most of it. What is the chief end of man? The question was asked in the shorter catechism. I don't believe in infant baptism, so yeah, I'd have a problem there. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's a great biblical answer. That's why God made you, so you can enjoy him and honor him. He must increase that I might decrease. Oh God, I want to be filled with the Spirit so I can be a great Bible teacher. God says, I'm not interested. Oh God, I want to be filled with the Spirit so I can lead people to Jesus. I'm not interested. Oh, God, I want to be filled with the Spirit so that I can be a great dad. I'm not interested. Oh, God, I want to be filled with the Spirit so that by life or by death, I might glorify the one who gave me everything. And God says, I'm interested. Because that's why I sent the Spirit of God to lift up my son. And when you realize that you've been bought with a price, 
that you are not your own, what else can you do but to give glory to him? Now, our Holy Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for its truth. I know some are listening to me today who've never even been saved. They don't even have the Holy Spirit yet. And you want to make them alive. You want to bear witness with their spirit that they've become a child of God. But you cannot do that until they call upon Jesus in faith. So help someone today to say, Lord Jesus, on what you did on that cross and what you proved by your resurrection, I ask you to save me and to change me. Lord Jesus, save me. Tell him he will. Now, Father, I know many are within the sound of my voice who've already crossed that line. But they're not really consistently spirit-filled people. And that's what you want. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want in the life of this fellowship. That's what you want. That we would be a spirit-filled congregation. So like the disciples who said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to walk in the Spirit. That we might give glory to the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here this morning and there's a decision you need to make to confess Jesus as your personal Lord, maybe you've been saved, you've never made it public. This would be a good opportunity. Maybe you're in Graniteville or Grays. You need to join the church. Every believer should be a member of a New Testament Bible-believing church. Maybe you've never been baptized as a symbol of your faith. If there's a decision of a public expression to be confessed Jesus, to be baptized, to join this local assembly, we invite you to leave your seat and to meet me here in the front. Would you come, Matt? Would you lead us?